Day 4 of Totus Tuisus Novena With quotes from John Paul II's encyclical Redemptor Hominis The Second Vatican Council did immense work to form that full and universal awareness by the Church of which Pope Paul VI wrote in his first encyclical. This awareness, or rather self-awareness, by the Church is formed in dialogue and before this dialogue becomes a conversation attention must be directed to the other, that is to say, the person with whom we wish to speak. The Ecumenical Council gave a fundamental impulse to forming the Church's self-awareness by so adequately and competently presenting to us a view of the terrestrial globe as a map of various religions. It showed, furthermore, that this map of the world's religions has superimposed on it in previously unknown layers typical of our time, the phenomenon of atheism in its various forms, beginning with the atheism that is programmed, organized and structured as a political system. With regard to religion, what is dealt with is in the first place religion as a universal phenomenon linked with man's history from the beginning, then the various non-Christian religions, and finally Christianity itself. The Council document on non-Christian religions, in particular, is filled with deep esteem for the great spiritual values, indeed for the primacy of the spiritual, which in the life of mankind find expression in religion and then in morality, with direct effects on the whole of culture. The Fathers of the Church rightly saw in the various religions, as it were so many reflections of the one truth, seeds of the word attesting that, though the roots taken may be different, there is but a single goal, to which is directed the deepest aspiration of the human spirit, as expressed in its quest for God, and also in its quest, through its tending towards God, for the full dimension of its humanity, or in other words, for the full meaning of human life. The Council gave particular attention to the Jewish religion, recalling the great spiritual heritage common to Christians and Jews. It also expressed its esteem for the believers of Islam, whose faith also looks to Abraham. The opening made by the Second Vatican Council has enabled the Church and all Christians to reach a more complete awareness of the mystery of Christ, the mystery hidden for ages in God, to be revealed in time in the man Jesus Christ and to be revealed continually in every time. In Christ and through Christ, God has revealed himself fully to mankind and has definitively drawn close to it. At the same time, in Christ and through Christ, man has acquired full awareness of his dignity, of the heights to which he is raised, of the surpassing worth of his own humanity and of the meaning of his existence. All of us who are Christ's followers must therefore meet and unite around him. This unity in the various fields of the life, traditions, structures and discipline of the individual Christian churches and ecclesial communities cannot be brought about without effective work aimed at getting to know each other and removing the obstacles blocking the way to perfect unity. However, we can and must immediately reach and display to the world our unity in proclaiming the mystery of Christ, 
in revealing the divine dimension and also the human dimension of the redemption and in struggling with unwearying perseverance for the dignity that each human being has reached and continually reach in Christ, namely the dignity of both the grace of divine adoption and the inner truth of humanity, a truth which, if in the common awareness of the modern world, it has been given such fundamental importance, for us is still clearer in the light of the reality that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the stable principle and fixed centre of the mission that God himself has entrusted to man. We must all share in this mission and concentrate all our forces on it, since it is more necessary than ever for modern mankind. If this mission seems to encounter greater opposition nowadays than ever before, this shows that today it is more necessary than ever, and in spite of the opposition, more awaited than ever. Here we touch indirectly on the mystery of the divine economy, which linked salvation and grace with the cross. It was not without reason that Christ said that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force, and moreover that the children of this world are more astute than are the children of light. We gladly accept this rebuke, that we may be like those violent people of God, that we have so often seen in the history of the Church, and still see today, and that we may consciously join in the great mission of revealing Christ to the world, helping each person to find himself in Christ, and helping the contemporary generations of our brothers and sisters, the peoples, nations, states, mankind, developing countries and countries of opulence, in short, helping everyone to get to know the unsearchable riches of Christ since these riches are for every individual and are everybody's property. In this unity in mission, which is decided principally by Christ himself, all Christians must find what already unites them, even before their full communion is achieved. This is apostolic and missionary unity, missionary and apostolic unity. Thanks to this unity, we can together come close to the magnificent heritage of the human spirit that has been manifested in all religions, as the Second Vatican Council's declaration, Nostra Aetate, says. It also enables us to approach all cultures, all ideological concepts, all people of goodwill. We approach them with the esteem, respect and discernment that since the time of the Apostles has marked the missionary attitude, the attitude of the missionary, Suffice it to mention St. Paul, and for instance, his address in the Areopagus at Athens. The missionary attitude always begins with a feeling of deep esteem for what is in man, for what man has himself, worked out in the depths of his spirit, concerning the most profound and important problems. It is a question of respecting everything that has been brought about in him by the spirit, which blows where it wills. The mission is never destruction, but instead is a taking up and fresh building, even if in practice there has not always been full correspondence with this high ideal. And we know well that the conversion that is begun by the mission is a work of grace in which man must fully find himself again. 
For this reason, the Church in our time attaches great importance to all that is stated by the Second Vatican Council in its Declaration on Religious Freedom, both the first and the second part of the document. We perceive intimately that the truth revealed to us by God imposes on us an obligation. We have, in particular, a great sense of responsibility for this truth. By Christ's institution, the Church is its guardian and teacher, having been endowed with a unique assistance of the Holy Spirit in order to guard and teach it in its most exact integrity. In fulfilling this mission, we look towards Christ himself, the first evangelizer, and also towards his apostles, martyrs and confessors. The Declaration on Religious Freedom shows us convincingly that when Christ and after him his apostles proclaim the truth that comes not from men but from God, my teaching is not mine but his who sent me, that is the Father's. They preserved while acting with their full force of spirit a deep esteem for man, for his intellect, his will, his conscience and his freedom. Thus the human person's dignity itself becomes part of the content of that proclamation, being included not necessarily in words, but by an attitude towards it. This attitude seems to fit the special needs of our times. Since man's true freedom is not found in everything that the various systems and individuals see and propagate as freedom, the Church, because of her divine mission, becomes all the more the guardian of this freedom which is the condition and basis for the human person's true dignity. Jesus Christ meets the man of every age, including our own, with the same words. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. These words contain both a fundamental requirement and a warning. The requirement of an honest relationship with regard to truth as a condition for authentic freedom, and the warning to avoid every kind of illusory freedom, every superficial unilateral freedom, every freedom that fails to enter into the whole truth about man and the world. Today also, even after 2,000 years, we see Christ as the one who brings man freedom based on truth, frees man from what curtails, diminishes, and as it were, breaks off this freedom at its root, in man's soul, his heart and his conscience. What a stupendous confirmation of this has been given, and is still being given, by those who, thanks to Christ and in Christ, have reached true freedom, and have manifested it, even in situations of external constraint. When Jesus Christ himself appeared as a prisoner before Pilate's tribunal and was interrogated by him about the accusation made against him by the representatives of the Sanhedrin, did he not answer, For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. It was as if with these words, spoken before the judge at the decisive moment, he was once more confirming what he had said earlier. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In the course of so many centuries, of so many generations, from the time of the Apostles on, 
Is it not often Jesus Christ himself that has made an appearance at the side of people judged for the sake of the truth? And has he not gone to death with people condemned for the sake of the truth? Does he ever cease to be the continuous spokesman and advocate for the person who lives in spirit and truth? Just as he does not cease to be it before the Father, he is it also with regard to the history of man. And in her turn the Church, in spite of all the weaknesses that are part of her human history, does not cease to follow him who said, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, keep us in your love. Let us hear your voice and believe what you say, for you alone have the words of life. Teach us how to profess our faith, bestow our love, and impart our hope to others. Make us convincing witnesses to your gospel in a world so much in need of your saving grace. Make us the new people of the Beatitudes, that we may be the salt of the earth and the light of the world at the beginning of the third Christian millennium. Amen. Mary, Mother of Christ and of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.